From Muhlenberg College, this is 2400 Chew. I'm Tammy Katzoff, and in each episode of this podcast, I talk to one Muhlenberg graduate about their current work and the industry in which that work is done. For this episode, I spoke with Russ Choma, class of 2003, an investigative reporter covering money and influence in politics for Mother Jones magazine. I sat down with Russ at the Washington, D.C. Bureau of Mother Jones, and as I do with all of these interviews, I began the conversation by asking how and when he became interested in his occupation. I didn't have an idea that this is what I wanted to do. I didn't grow up saying, you know, I want to be a journalist. But I think in retrospect, it was obvious that that was what I was going to do the whole time. You know, I always enjoyed the news. I always enjoyed reading. I always enjoyed magazines. I always enjoyed stories. uh, And I worked on the high school paper a little bit. And when I got to Muhlenberg, some friends and I, we started an alternative paper there. I did a little bit of work for the weekly, but then I had this alternative paper for a while. And then when I graduated, I didn't know what I wanted to do. But I had done some writing and I'd done some of this newspaper work at Muhlenberg. I had a friend uh, who graduated with me, Seth Williams, who was moving to New Hampshire to work for the John Kerry campaign, and it was not a paid internship, and so he needed a roommate to help pay rent, and so he said, do you want to come? And I said, sure, and I, I didn't have a job either, but the idea was that I could maybe find a job. And so I went and I looked at all the presidential campaigns, and I looked at what Seth was doing, and he was working really, really hard, like 16 hours a day, six days a week, and 12 hours on Sunday, and then he got a, he got a second job to help pay some money for rent. I thought, I don't want to do that. It was all like knocking on doors and cold calling people, and, and so I started applying for newspaper jobs up there. And as soon as I got the job, I loved it. And it was obvious that this is what I should have been doing. And it was exactly the kind of thing I liked doing. My idea was just always like, well, this is fun. I'll keep doing it. And as long as it's fun, I'll keep doing it. And I kept on going. And I worked at that paper. And then I moved to a larger paper. And I moved to the statewide daily in New Hampshire. Um, and, it, you know, every step of the way, it was a lot of fun. And at, at that point, I sort of had to start making more considerations in terms of a career. I was getting older. And, you know, this was like 2008. And the economy wasn't going very well. And newspapers were really, really not going well. I was at the statewide daily. It was the largest newspaper in the state. And my wife, we were engaged at the time. She was at another paper in New Hampshire, which was the Concord Monitor, which was the best paper in the state. And there was no opportunity for advancement. It was fun, but we needed to keep moving. And so I moved to DC and I had a a fellowship at American University. And I just started looking for jobs that I enjoyed. And it was working out. I I mean, I I was good enough at it that I stayed employed. I wound up here, and this is a very fun place to work. I think it has a very similar sort of like overall ethos to the way I sort of think and a lot of what guided me in my career when I was younger and I was doing just because that's the way I am and that's the sort of stuff I'm interested in. And it's worked out really well that it sort of matches with what the organization is about sort of uh, largely. And so it's still fun. It is a large publication. We do have a broad readership. You know, it's like worked out. And I've come back to Muhlenberg a couple of times when I talk to people, it's sort of hard to say, you know, exactly how do you plan for something like this because I didn't plan for it. But it, in retrospect, it has been sort of methodical. But at the same time, I, I think it was not necessarily intentional. Knowing a little bit about uh, the journalism world myself, I know that you probably don't have a typical day at work. But what are some of your days like today after we're done here? Because this is the, I, I assume this is the first thing you're doing in the office this, today. What does what the rest yeah. of your day look like? This, this is the typical day, you know, where I, I might have an interview first thing in the morning. And then actually today we have media training. They, they signed it. It's the week before Christmas. And so I'm not sure if they did it intentionally or what, but a number of us in the office have media training, you know, just how to do broadcast interviews, how to do radio and TV. And I've done some and I've had some media training, but it's always good to have better, you know, and like how to deal with the voice in your ear and, and that sort of thing. 
I'm doing that. I have uh, some upcoming travel. I'm going to be going to Scotland to do some reporting there, and I need to nail down some sources. So I need to call Scotland and make sure that these people that I need to talk to will be there and make sure that they can introduce me to some other people. And I need to buy some plane tickets for it. And so I need to hurry up and do that. So when I'm not at this media training today, I'll probably be on the phone with someone in Scotland. And then I also have stories I have to write. So, you know, there's a couple of people I have to call. There's some some follow-ups, you know, people I'd spoken to before when I was sort of thinking of a story. Now my editor wants the story. So I've got to get back to these people, get them on the record and get some quotes. And then I have to do a little bit of writing. And that's sort of a typical day where, you know, it's a little bit of everything. And that, that's one of the things I really like about it. I can be very scattered and unfocused, which can be a bad thing. But in this, this job, it can be a very good thing. And that's what I like about it is that every day is a little bit different. There isn't, there isn't a typical thing. And when I was younger, when I was a newspaper reporter, you know, I was always driving somewhere and meeting new people. And now I don't do that as much. In Washington, uh, there's a lot more phone calls and emails and, and stuff like that. But, but every day is still different. And, and sometimes I'm working on a big project. Sometimes I'm working on a little project. Sometimes I'm doing an interview. Sometimes something like planning out a, a longer term trip. So, um, yeah, I mean, there, there's, every day is different. Are you allowed to tell us what you're doing in Scotland? Uh, I mean, it has to do with Trump's golf courses. I uh, thought so. Yeah, I couldn't tell you more for a couple of reasons, but one of the reasons is just that it hasn't been fully planned out yet. How, how does pitching a story work around here? If you, if you have an idea, what happens? Mother Jones is a magazine, but it's also a website and it's also podcasts. And so there's a lot of different channels. And even within the website, there's sort of like more bloggy stuff and more long-term stuff. So it kind of depends on what you want to do. Writing for the magazine is a big process. Our headquarters is in San Francisco, and that's where most of our staff is. And then this is the DC Bureau. There's about 20 people here. And then we also have a New York Bureau, about 20 people there. So if you want to pitch something to San Francisco, you know, I think we have six issues a year. And every few months or so, there's a big pitch meeting, and you have to come up with a pitch, and you send it to your editor, and they give you some, some feedback. And then the editors take it to the big pitch meeting and talk to the bigger editors. And it's sort of a mysterious process sometimes, and I, I'm not always great at it. Uh, the last thing I had in the magazine was actually something I wrote for the website that did extremely well. And it was long and it was in depth. And so they said, we like it so much, let's put it in the magazine. And so now that's, you know, having different sort of channels for the content is sort of fun because when they put it in the magazine, they could add art to it and they could add, you know, graphics and sort of it transformed it a little bit, you know, but for the web, I mean, it's, it's really just a matter of having a conversation with my editor. And oftentimes, you know, we're reacting, especially these days, we're reacting to like news events. And so it's not even a question of pitching. It's something happens and you just know you have to write it. And it, you sort of, uh, you know, send a Slack message to your editor saying, I've got to do this. And, or they say, you've got to do this. And then we do it. There's a lot of different channels, as I said, and, and they go from being very casual to being very, very formal and elaborate. And, and I'm better with the casual ones than the elaborate ones. One of the things we try to do with these podcasts is talk about trends in, in different industries. Can you talk about, and of course we know the media industry changes every day. Can you talk about what big changes you've seen in your years doing this and what changes you see happening that you're going to have to deal with in the future as far as being in journalism, in media? Like everything, it has changed a lot since when I graduated in 2003. And media has, has gone into some sort of revolutionary changes. When I started, I was a newspaper reporter, and it was the very tail end of the era of prosperity for the media. And I remember my first year after I graduated, so I graduated in May of 2003, and I got a, moved to New Hampshire, got a job. And in December of that year, at Christmas, we got cards from the owner of the paper that had cash bonuses in them. And that was the last time anyone in the industry saw a bonus. That was something that used to happen all the time because newspapers were enormously profitable. They made a lot of cash and people were used to that sort of thing. 
and that, that sort of stuff doesn't happen anymore. And it's funny, you know, when I started in journalism, I started with a lot of people my age who are very, very smart, who are very talented. Uh, and my wife and I talk about this all the time because she's a journalist as well. She had a lot of friends she went into journalism with, and we're the only two who are still working. And it just boggles our mind how many people we know who no longer work. And some of them got laid off and some of them just quit. You know, they just had enough of it. But, it, you know, it's amazing how many people have left. At the same time, it's amazing how many talented people there still are. And there's a lot of new people coming in, but they have a very different perspective. Like they don't have any concept of the era of bonuses and, and yeah. things like that. The papers I started off working for, the first two papers I started working for don't exist anymore. The paper, the, the big statewide daily has dramatically cut back its coverage. Um, you know, occasionally there's stories I remember working on and I'm like, whatever happened to that? And I'll go and I'll look it up. Uh, you know, I covered cops and courts and so there, there will be some, you know, outrageous court case and I'll go look it up and there's been no follow-up, none, none whatsoever. It's just not covered anymore. Just swaths of things are not covered anymore. So, I mean, there's been a huge, huge reduction in coverage. Um, at the same time, if you come to a place like Washington, D.C., and this is part of the reason that my wife and I moved here is that there's always journalism jobs here. There's a lot of journalism jobs here. Even in 2008, when we moved here, there were jobs. You know, Washington never slows down and people need news. People need high quality news. I went to American University for my master's degree and it was paid for by a company called BNA, which is now part of Bloomberg. Uh, and it's specialty publications. Um, I, I wrote for one of their one of their publications called The Daily Report for Executives. And that's literally what it is. It's a daily report for CEOs and CFOs. And it's everything that they need to know about Washington. People pay a lot of money for it. BNA probably employs more people in Washington than any other news organization, and you've never heard of them. And I realized that I didn't want to do that kind of very specific, focused um, kind of writing, but it was, a, it was a great place to start, and it was they helped me get my master's degree. You know, I mean, there is still like a very thriving industry in some ways, and there is still a demand for high-level information. And I think that we've also seen people become a little bit more willing to pay for it. And I think that was one thing that after the Trump administration, you know, the New York Times subscriptions went way up. Our subscriptions, our magazine subscriptions in the in the month after Trump was elected, we saw an increase in subscriptions because people realize that they want more information and they need to know what's going on. And they're looking for trusted news sources. I don't know how long that lasts. And I think that, you know, there is a question if Trump doesn't get reelected, will the New York Times subscriptions, you know, the bottom drop out? Our subscriptions are not so huge that it's going to be like a huge statistical thing. I think that we did see that people realize that they want good information. Um, and, and there is at least some appetite for paying for it. There's still an enormous amount of destruction in the industry. And, you know, there was a resurgence. When I left newspapers in 2008, I never thought I'd go back to work in a newspaper. And we've seen newspapers come back, some local papers come back, start investing in reporters, start hiring again. But then, you know, in the past couple of months, we've also seen, you know, Gannett sort of get pulled apart. And there's this trend of private equity coming in and buying newspapers because newspapers physically own valuable real estate in downtown areas. And so they come in and they buy the newspaper because they want the real estate that the building is on. And so they sell the building and, you know, dump uh, employees and then sell the paper off again. And, it, you know, I mean, there's just weird things like that that have nothing to do with the journalism that are still coming through and sort of wreaking havoc on the industry. What do you see as the most challenging parts of your job? I love the fact that, as, as I was saying before, every day is different. But at the same time, it does put a lot of responsibility on me. You know, it is very easy to to, to get lost in looking for a story or to, um, you know, you, you have to be self-motivated uh, and you have to keep yourself going. And a lot of people don't like the media. Sometimes it can be very depressing to have everyone constantly sort of telling you you're an awful person. 
you know, I don't like to be disliked. That's still like a, still like a hard thing. And I, you know, I think it's, yeah, it's just sort of hard to keep going forward sometimes. And one of the things we've been dealing with like recently is that, you know, there's so much news, you know, I've done some of the best journalism in my career in the last four years, but things are happening all the time. And so you write this really wonderful story or really exciting story or really thorough story. And, and this isn't just me, you know, other, other people I know say this too. And, and then the president tweets something. And like everyone forgets about all all these other stories that have been done, and it's like you know, I just I worked on that for two months. Uh, huh. And if he if he had just tweeted maybe an hour later, it would have made the news tonight. There's a lot of fatigue on both sides. I mean, I, I think that the public is also fatigued with a lot of the news, but I think it's it's fatiguing to have to produce it and just keep producing it too. Any advice that you would give for someone who wants to take the plunge? into journalism and and have a career such as yours, what would you advise them to do? What are your your biggest pieces of guidance? Well, you know, like I said at the beginning, like this wasn't intentional, but at the same time, looking back, it was methodical, but I didn't realize I was doing it. I get irritated when people say, oh, I would never tell anyone to go into journalism because I really enjoy being here and I enjoy what I've done. And I think that you can still get into it. And I think that you have to keep you have to be thoughtful about it and hopefully be a little more thoughtful than I was. Uh, but at the same time, like I, I think that if you are methodical and if you do sort of keep moving forward and you also keep an awareness of, am I enjoying this and is this working out? And you, I mean, you have, especially as you get older, you have decisions to make and you have families and you have to pay for things. And, but I think that you can still keep a, a career and you can keep going forward, but being methodical about it and, and being cognizant and aware of, of what's going on. I was visiting Muhlenberg uh, a couple years ago and to talk to some of the comm students and I talked to a student then and she was like, should I go into journalism? And I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and she did. And she's now done extremely well. Katie Mikey's, she's at, at uh, Iowa Public Radio. Uh, right. Yes. Yeah. I do know of her. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And she, I mean, she's done extremely well. And I think that w after she took the job and I said, you know, call me anytime if you need any help. And she'd call when she took her first job in Utah and she'd be very like, I don't know what I'm doing. Why, why did I do this? You know, I, I was like, just stick with it. And she did. And she got so much better in, in, in her first job. And then she got her second job. And, and now she's working at Iowa Public Radio and you hear her on NPR. And I mean, it's really impressed me. And I, I think the thing that she did is, she, I mean, she just sort of stuck with it. And she's like, a, you know, sort of a hard worker. And, but she's been very methodical about it. And at every spot, she's been like, you know, I'm going to do the best here. And how can I sort of step to the next level when the, when the time is right? And I, I think that was sort of what I did. Um, and I, I think she was she's showing that you can still sort of do it. I think journalism is a, an industry that appreciates hard work, you know, like, like any industry, like a, who you know helps and that sort of thing. But if you can't do the work and if you can't do hard work, you can't get ahead. And so I think, I think that that's still good advice. So one last thing, we both have master's degrees in journalism. Right. Uh, what's your take on that? Is that, you know, for, for someone graduating Muhlenberg College wants to go into journalism, is that a necessity these days? So a master's in journalism is extremely expensive. If you can get someone to pay for it, yeah, go for it. You know, there are people who will pay for you, like, like I didn't. Journalism is a trade more than anything, and you have to do it to, to be good at it. And there's a lot of things that they'll never, ever be able to teach you in school uh, that I think that you can only learn by being a reporter. You know, when I, when I first started off and I was a newspaper reporter, I had to cover crime. And like I said, I covered cops and courts and, you know, I'd have to go out in the middle of the night and cover car accidents and fires and learning to talk to a police officer at an accident scene to, you know, find out what's going on and, and to get them to let you to, you know, to come in and talk to their, the captain or whatever 
or at the scene of a fire or talking to someone whose house just burned down. It's really hard to do, but the only way you can learn how to do it is to do it. And you can't teach someone in a classroom how to talk to a police officer. You can't talk to someone or teach someone how to talk to like a grieving person. On the one hand, when I went to grad school, there wasn't a lot that happened in the classroom that I hadn't already learned. And I mean, there, there's specific skills. You know, I learned how to use some software. But the big thing about it was meeting people. You know, every job I've had in Washington comes from connections I made in grad school. And so it's extremely helpful for that. And I think, though, you know, you have to make a decision, though. You know, I mean, Columbia can cost like 120 grand or something ridiculous. Uh, is it worth that? <laughs> um, but, you know, on the flip side, you know, I talk to some of the people here at my job and, you know, they say, oh, I went to Columbia. It wasn't worth it. And I'm like, well, you have the same job I do. You've only been in the industry two years and I've been in the industry for you know, 15 years. So it can definitely get you ahead. And the connections you make can be extremely helpful, but it can also be hugely expensive. Um, and it can take a while before you get a job where you can afford to pay it off. Yeah, well, I do. I do like what you said about meeting people because yeah. that, for me it was the same. It's I got absolutely. I got my first long term job yeah. because of going to school and the people I met there. I, so I wouldn't recommend going straight from undergrad. And when I was in grad school, the people I saw who went straight from undergrad into journalism grad uh, didn't do well. And I don't think they got their money's worth. And most of them are not. I don't think any of them are working in journalism now. I think you need to have a little bit of perspective. I think going and getting some kind of a job and sort of getting a sense of where you want to be and do you enjoy this before you make an investment like that. But if you know what you want to do, I, I do think mainly because of the connections, which is not a small thing because there are so many people who want jobs in this industry. And so, you know, as I said, you still have to do the work and you still have to be a hard worker. But knowing getting introduced to the right people does help. This episode of 2400 Shoe was produced by me, Tammy Katzoff, Associate Director of the Muhlenberg College Career Center. It was recorded on location by Paul Kremposky and engineered by Morgan Wolper at the studios of WMUH Allentown, Pennsylvania. Our opening and closing music from Cowboy Bebop is performed by the Muhlenberg College Jazz Big Band.